When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fighting the Frizzies at 11. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? God, remember the Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was down oh, on yeah. basic glasses. Mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own. And then this one came back, and it was over two weeks. And the other mannequins went come over here for a minute and turned into plastic. Welcome everybody to Zoning Out. I'm Christopher Feinstein, John Sachs, Frank Bonacci. I am Mickey Mouse, and it's Judd. We are here today to talk about The Twilight Zone, season two, episode three. Nervous man in a four dollar room with an air date I don't remember. October fourteenth. October 14th, 1960, directed by Douglas Hayes, who is no stranger to the zone, directing nine episodes, and he had some absolute bangers. Written by Rod Serling, some of Douglas Hayes' episodes that we've seen already in season one were And When the Sky Opened, Elegy, The Chaser, and The After Hours. And we got some big ones coming up soon. Some one coming up real soon. The episode follows Mr. Jackie Rhodes, a timid and easily frightened small-time criminal who finds himself holed up in a shabby hotel room after committing a theft. Rhodes is haunted by his own insecurities and lack of self-confidence. As he looks in the room's grimy mirror, he suddenly sees a different version of himself. Dun, dun, dun. What do we think of this one? I've come to dislike certain episodes of the show, and not for like their actual value, but for how hard it's going to be to talk about them yeah, on the show. Stunk. It's not even that it's stunk. It's so without incident. It's three scenes, essentially, stretched out over 25 minutes. You can call those acts, but there's three scenes. And only two actors, aside from Serling, which is only done four other times in his own history. Oh, so he shows up at the beginning, and they've started getting very playful with how he enters the scene. Yeah. He enters from the ceiling. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's like he's he's like on set, maybe, and they just have him just like climbing out from under the bed and just doing like weird. <laughs> I'll tell you what they did in this one, and I think they seem to have access to a rear projector because all the mirror shots, that's how it was done. It wasn't like split screen or anything. Hmm. They actually rear project like they filmed all the person in the mirror stuff first, and that he had to react to that live, essentially, after they played it back. I was that's trying cool. to figure out, like, because it's so good, because it's just like usually when you do that thing where you're doing a split screen or some kind of like a optical effect. You have to lock the camera down unless you have like a motion control camera, which they did not have in 1960. So I was trying to figure out what they did and, and it turned out it was rear projection. And that's what they did. I, I guess, hey, we got that rear projector. Let's put Sterling on the ceiling. <laughs> so that's how they opened the show. But before I, I explain what the show's about, I just want to pat myself in the back. I want this on record. I'm listening to the opening few pieces of the music and I'm like, I have a fucking feeling that this is Jerry Goldsmith. So Jerry Goldsmith scored this episode. And you know, you know why? Because it's very reminiscent of his music in Star Trek The Motion Picture, the Klingon theme. Oh, wow. It's, if you listen to it and listen to the Klingon theme, you know what? I'm going to have to put a comparison. And that's like a proto version of the Klingon theme in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Huh. Wow. Love Goldsmith. There's another yeah. uh, Goldsmith 
connection to this episode. Jerry Goldsmith, coincidentally, he wrote the score for the 74 film Chinatown. And Joe Mantel oh. played a major sporting character. He was uh, Jack Nicholson's uh, partner. I was going to say, he has the classic last line of the film. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Frank, you want to take us through the beats? Yes, I might as well. Yes. nothing, And nothing else happened in the intervening time. It opens with Sterling on the ceiling, and then... This is Mr. Jackie Rhodes, age 34. And where some men leave a mark of their lives as a record of their fragmentary existence on Earth, this man leaves a blot. A dirty, discolored blemish to document a cheap and undistinguished sojourn amongst his betters. What you're about to watch in this room is a strange mortal combat between a man and himself. For in just a moment, Mr. Jackie Rhodes, whose life has been given over to fighting adversaries, will find his most formidable opponent in a cheap hotel room that is in reality the outskirts of the Twilight Zone. We get into my favorite trope of the show. As we all know, I haven't brought it up this season, and I felt I kept going back. I'm like, forgot to talk about my favorite thing that this show offers me. Batman. Sweaty, oh. agitated Ooh. men. And we, I think we have, so far in the show, the sweatiest and most agitated. I don't know. Maybe Jack Warden was sweatier because they were, he was actually dying of like heat exhaustion while filming his episode. But this man was pretty darn sweaty and pretty darn agitated. So I like that. His name's Jackie Rhodes, and he calls his buddy George. Hey, George. Hey, George. And he says, you know, he says George 56 times in this episode, <laughs> and tw 20 of which were in the first two minutes. Oh, hello, George. Now, wait a minute, George, 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 you know I'm not complaining, George, 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 how are you, George, 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 I'm saying George. George, 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 20 times in the first two minutes of the show. So he's on the phone with George. That's what I want to talk to you about, Joe. I was wondering what you had in mind tonight. He needs he needs a job. He's a low-level criminal, ice man, B and E type guy. And I sent a, a text to all of you, a YouTube clip, because I their relationship for the audience is this cartoon. Hey Spike, hey, you wanna play ball? Huh? You wanna play ball? Huh, Spike? You wanna? Huh? Huh? huh Spike? You wanna? Huh? If they did a live action movie of Spike and, and Spike and Chester. Like, this is the pair. He doesn't tell him what the job is. It's like something he does, can't say over the phone. And so he goes back to chewing his nails. He's a big nail chewer, this guy. Finally, George shows up with his very aerodynamic head. <laughs> his head was so aerodynamic. It was like, Jesus Christ. It looked like an Edsel, his face. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. Oh, <laughs> oh, anybody from out of town? Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> dying up here. <laughs> Anybody have the? Oh God! Hi, Janet. I gotta do the nine o'clock. I can't do these early shows no more. Try the prime rib. <laughs> George comes and tells him what the gig is. It's an old man. Runs a little bar, Thirty Eighth Street, between Lexington and Sixth. It's a feisty old bum. He's always giving us trouble. He don't want to pay off the jukeboxes. He don't want to pay for protection. We lecture him all the time, but he spits in our eye. So tomorrow morning they find the old gleep sprawled across his bar. He's got to pop some old man, or as a gleep as he calls him. I have never was, heard... Uh, I've never heard that gleep. I've never heard that. I got to Google it. Like, uh, I'm doing I should have right did now. it. Yeah, look, can you please look up gleep like that? There's as a, a person who basically... I know all my slurs. 
This is, oh my God, in uh, Urban Dictionary, a gleep is the name of a person who basically doesn't want to do things the easy way. Hmm. Dialogue huh. from the Twilight Zone, nervous man in a $4 room. So oh, tomorrow wow. morning, you find the old gleeps fall down in his bar and then the rest of them swing in line. They don't knuckle under pressure nor give in to paying a protection fee for either themselves or their business and go so far as to spit in someone's eye to show they won't be bullied by gang members. Because of this, they aren't long for this world and are often killed by someone in that gang. Usually leave a message to other merchants. Pay or else. That's a gleep. That's literally what he says. Jackie's like, you know, he's like, I'm not, I'm not a killer, George. Come on. I can't do that kind of stuff. I'm a square jaw, I am. This one ain't for me. Listen, you're in hock to me for your collar button, so don't tell me what's for you and what isn't. But I never done anything like this before, George. I'm strictly breaking and entering. I'm nickels and dimes. If I get pinched one more time, that's it for me. Three strikes, you're out. Yeah, he's like, I'm a three-time Charlie or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand their terms. Leap is like, it's like a different language at one point. There were so many of those old-timey terms in this one. More so than any of the other episodes, I think. They're caricature-ish versions, Hollywood versions of gangsters. But like, yeah, from like, kind of like how, like he's, his his whole understanding of the criminal underworld, Sterling, sounds like it came from like a 1940s Warner Brothers. like angels with dirty faces or white heat because that's how like the dialogue plays it plays like one of those films right he's doesn't want to do it so george gives him a nice thumping george i got no guts get guts jackie i don't care where from grow a spine and do it as he's beating him savagely <laughs> so george leaves he, he gives him the gun they're very cavalier with they have no gun safety no no etiquette like, George shows him the gun and just throws it on his bed. Like, just, like, hucks it on his bed. It's like, hey, here's a gun. It's like, you could have put it down. A loaded gun. George. George, George, George. And then later on, he's just, there's so much gun just, they're like, hey, watch me gun juggle. <laughs> so that whole thing was, like, the first act. The second act is Jackie by himself. And Jackie starts talking to himself about what he has to do. Look at you. What's some beef? Go out and get rid of an old man. Some dopey old man. So maybe 90 years old, maybe 100 years. And then he starts talking to himself. Who are you? I'm you, Jackie. And you are me. How's that? You're me and I'm you. This is crazy. This is really crazy. This is crazy, crazy. The version of him in the mirror starts talking to him. And that's like the big what moment of this episode. Again, we were talking about that earlier. Really well staged, that whole thing. They went with rear projection, which gave them much more flexibility because like you wouldn't have to lock the camera down. It's like a lot of camera moves. I mean, it's kind of amazingly like well blocked these sequences because you're, you know, reacting to pre-taped footage. So when you have to shoot those rear project things, so you have to react. Oh, there's a really funny uh, thing about this that I read that the guy who was his stand in. I got to find that. Hold on. What's the name of the show? This episode. <laughs> this is Nervous Man. Nervous Man. Judd in the four dollar room. <laughs> I can't even remember where I found it. But anyway, the guy who played his stand-in for those scenes was uh, went on to be like prominent directing gigs. I'll probably put a notation afterwards to explain what I mean. <laughs> Future Frank here. So it turned out the one who was the stand-in in all the mirror scenes was Brian Hutton, who went on to direct films When Eagles Dare, and one of my favorites, Kelly's Heroes. Sorry for stopping the show for that. I couldn't find it. I didn't want to find it. They're all sitting there. You got to hear what's going on. <laughs> you got to see what I see. I see four blank faces staring at me as I try to research something I should have researched before we started recording. Because I was like, oh, that's an interesting fact. I'll know where it was, but I, I 
I didn't write it down. So the person in the mirror is way more dominant, way more assertive, as we've established Jackie to be a very timid, mousy kind of person. He's, he's, he's Chester. Anything you say, Spike? Because you and me is pals. That's right, isn't it, Spike? And that's what his mirror starts like lambasting him about. A cheap, weak, scared, half vulture, all mouse. That's what you are, Jackie. Dude, you gotta fucking grow a pair. Like, his whole mirror is just like, he's like an alpha male, but he doesn't have no time for that beta male shit. <laughs> you gotta sack up, boy. You can't let people, like, push you into murder. And it's a whole thing. They start going through the whole laundry list of his life, and it's all like, he had some hard breaks. He's like, you didn't have no hard breaks. You were too much of a coward to take the chance. He's led a life of cowardice, and his reflection in the mirror is letting him, is recounting, going through all this. He's basically, he's basically doing a defending his life bit. 61. Let me make it plain. I cannot take the job for under 65, under no conditions. Your Honors, I would like to go directly to the next afternoon and show you the real encounter. Daniel, I'm prepared to offer you $49,000. I'll take it. I'm calling a shot. And neither you or anybody else is telling Jackie Rose what to do. Neither you or anybody else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, George. Uh, George, I'm doing what you told me, George. This goes back and forth for the whole second act. Third act is he starts trying to fight. He's not a very smart man, Jack. He starts trying to fight the mirror. He pulls the yeah. mirror off the wall. It's kind of dumb. Come on out of there, boys, guy. Come on out. Yeah, he's just like, where are you? Behind there? Like, it's just like, it's obviously, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, behind that, them, too. Yeah. stupid. <laughs> Your clone's behind them. Right. The mirror essentially takes him over. The person in the mirror is like, yeah, give it. You've had your chance. Then George comes back. Hey, you going to pop that old man? I resign. You what? I resign. You can have your gun back, plus the following. <laughs> Jackie pops George in the mouth, gives him a nice thumping in return. And says, get out of here, don't come back, and take your gun with you. And he takes the gun, and again, just kind of, there's a lot of, like, again, loose gunplay in these hands with this scene. Then he throws him the gun, George walks off. George! And he calls the hotel manager, he's like, I'm checking out. This place is a demp. Room clerk, this is Jackie. This is John Rhodes, room 14, I'm checking out. No, I'm not coming back. Oh, as a matter of fact, nothing's all right. The room's too hot, too small, and too dirty. It's just a place for bums, but not for me. Jackie? Nah, call me Jan. He walks off. Oh, first he goes to his mirror, and now the timid Jackie's in there. He's like, what are we going to do now? Hey, what's to do now? What's to do now? Now we go look for a job. Now maybe we get married. Now maybe we stop biting our nails. Yeah. And he's just like, he's like, whatever we want. And then he walks off all cocky. He's like, I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go get some fucking. I'm going to get hump. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trapped in this mirror. You're like, I can't, I can't, I can't walk. I can't hump. <laughs> I got fucking diapers. I shoot my pants every day. I can't walk. I can't hump. <laughs> <laughs> That's Vigo Mortensen's best role. Fuck Aragorn. <laughs> What movie is that? That's Carlito's way. I can't uh, walk. I can't hum. <laughs> I like this. Uh, the little this little Twilight Zone twist. This is where we, you see. Like we talked about it last week. Was it last week? Or the first episode where and John, you mentioned it. Like you're waiting for the twist, and it's like you're waiting for the ending. And like this one, this gave you the Twilight Zone twist that you know you're waiting for. Whether it was a good twist or not, you know that's that's up for interpretation. But it was there. And now a word from our sponsors. The Twilight Zone 
is brought to you by Bristol Myers, makers of Bufferin, the modern drug that brings relief from headache pain and protects against stomach discomfort. It felt like a very earnest one-act play that you would see, like, somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? That your friends mm-hmm. would make you watch. Like, hey, yeah. dude, yeah. I got the venue. I got the venue. <laughs> right. It's You're like coming, that. Right? Dude, I, I finally got, I got the, uh, the venue I wanted. I'm performing my dance quintet, you know, my cycle at Crane Jackson's Fountain Street Theater on Tuesday night. And uh, I'd love it if you came and gave me notes. You coming? You coming? <laughs> Become, it's the most right? dreaded emails when you get that email from the friend. Right. Like, Please no. come. <laughs> I just like was watching this and seeing some playwright with his hands cupped in front of his mouth, watching the actors say his words. Because it's 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 I get it. Afterwards, <laughs> it's like such afterwards a, getting on stage, of... making the praying hands and, and bowing to everyone. Yes. Yeah. yeah yes. Thank you. Thank you. Fucking take a walk. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it, it insists upon itself. Who wants to see a one man show? John, uh, John's like getting like sweats because I know you've had to go. Oh, I've had to go. Oh. If you work in entertainment long enough, you're gonna have to go to a lot of one man performances, a lot of one man shows. Listen, man, when I was doing stand up, oh. there was plenty of people I did fucking mics with. It was like, you're gonna come to my show. I'm doing a set. Oh yeah, those fucking guys, dude. That's that might no. be actually worse. No, I'm not coming. You know what I do? You know my strategy. This is what I do. I I, I go and then I leave before I can see them afterwards. Irish goodbye. It's like, I can't. I can't lie. I just it the whole the whole time I'm watching the thing. All I'm thinking about is, oh my god, how am I going to have this conversation afterwards? This thing is so bad. I can't lie. I'm going to feel so bad, and then I just take off. As soon as it's on, I'm the first one out of the theater. I'm like basically sprinting out of there. There's. It's, I would just rather. I'd rather get in trouble for not hanging out afterwards than having to try to lie about yeah. how bad I'll the thing anything. was. I can't do it. They got to get that one there. I'm too. I'm fake. I'll just say it was great. <laughs> I shit my oh I shit my pants. I had to go. I'll say anything, literally anything. That's not too far off though. That's not very far off. Right. That's the thing. It's that's, like, really, that's believable. It's within the realm of possibility. Like They're like, yeah, all right. I guess Chris did it again. Attracts again. They'll say. <laughs> I mean, it is in law likelihood that is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm done beating around the bush. Right. So, so that's what this episode felt like. <laughs> it, it really Chris, did feel like that. It felt like comp. that. It's the perfect comp. Not like Christian in this band. It's just, it's very earnest. And uh, listen, great performance. You know, it's not easy to do that. And just in terms of technical, in terms of the blocking of the episode, hey, aces. You know what I'll say about this episode? This is like Twilight Zone in general. I just, I think we talked about this in an earlier episode, but I, I just miss actors being encouraged to just like really go for it just fucking go for it like I, you never see people do this anymore and i think a big reason why is how people are taught to act like the machine it used to be we're going to teach you how to be in the theater so everything's going to be really big and you got to project and you got to make you got to make them feel every emotion and now it's like you take a zoom and it's like this is how you should audition you should you should specify what type of person you think they'll cast you as and be subdued and just do that person like that like you watch every episode we've done so far it's like these the first episode right the guy's like freaking out he's drenched in sweat oh you know everything's so big and fun he's really going for it like you don't see that anymore ever and 
and when I like, meet Small actors moments. now, like they're all not, they don't do that either. Like no one goes big. It's like all insecurity too. Like they're afraid to get shit on. I think that's part of it. But um, you watch these episodes and it's like the lead performance is always fun. Right. It's big and bro- well, it's theatrical because like, yeah, I guess because like most actors don't like migrate from the stage as they used I don't to. think they do stage anymore. I think it's right. especially it, now like, it's just I mean. video. Right. Yeah. So it's like you never you never have to go big on video, especially if you're just doing TikTok or whatever on your phone. Then it's like you're not even really trying to act. And sure, I mean, when people are good at being small, that's amazing too. I mean, I like that. But when like a Peter O'Toole, like when he goes fucking big, it's fucking glorious. And you don't see like a Peter O'Toole, like where he's just so fucking big. It's like like that's good acting to me. It's like yes, you could imitate those small little things that people could recognize. But to go theatrical and not break credibility is really amazing. Yeah, you're right. I think it is a lost style. Yeah, it's a bummer. Because even if the episode's not good, at least like the guy is going for it. You know, yeah. he's 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 giving it all he's got. Yeah, the overall. Whereas, aesthetic. like, if you see like a Black Mirror episode where where like the lead is just it's just like a zero burger. There's just like nothing there, and you could you can kind of tell like that's the point. Like just to I, be flat. Yeah, I'm just whispering to. It's like encouraged. It's like. <laughs> This weird shit going on, huh? <laughs> Here he goes. It's like when I watch Dark Knight. I'm Batman. It's when I watch Christian Bale play Bruce Wayne. He's not giving me anything. He's not giving me anything. It's like he's, I, I believe he's like, you know, he's doing the work where he feels it, but he's not communicating to me. And that's the thing. It's just like, you got to put on a show. That's why Tom Cruise is so successful. Because he goes big. Because he knows where to go big. He's jumping off mountains. Yeah, he goes big, and the thing is, whether that's good or bad, like, uh, listen, we're gonna talk about him soon, but you know, because he's coming up in a few episodes. Not this, I don't know about this season, but Tom Cruise, oh no, Shatner, but like Shatner (laughs) is as big as they come. But guess what? You can make fun of it all you want. You know his name, and and he's listen when he's good or when he's bad, he's still fucking fun to watch. Get a life, will you, I don't think he's as bad as people say he is. They they point to the same couple moments where he was kind of yeah, not at his best. You could point in everybody at that, but like Shatner generally brought it and, and yeah. like with big fucking moments and small moments. Yeah, of course. Oh, come on, folks. And Cruz is a good, good example, right? Because Cruz, I think like until Tropic Thunder, he was totally unaware of himself. Like he was not in on the joke at all. Yeah. And I think Tropic Thunder was like, oh, wait, I can be funny. I can kind of play towards how people think about me. But now like, like no movie stars are just totally unaware of themselves right it's so calculated and i think that you see that in the performances where it's like the last thing i want to do is get shit on on the internet for being too big and too over the top and overacting like this is a big thing now right this term overacting that you didn't used to hear that there wasn't really like a criticism the idea of overacting which is like give me a lot of emotion really go for it because now if you do it like you're afraid you're gonna get shit on robin williams he made a whole career fucking He's the most beloved guy ever. And it's a bummer, too, because he's right. Look at Robin Williams. He can go 13 out of 10. But the reason he's so great on the other end is because you've seen him do that speed, right? So if he's in Goodwill Hunting and he's like super small, then you have all this baggage with him and you go, holy shit, he's he's like killing me right now because he's going against what I know of him. It's a confidence that I don't think a lot of actors, you're right, just don't have. It's just like. To be that big and that controlled, you know, it's just like, I, I, it's it's glorious to watch when you watch actors be big. And that's what's good about the show sometimes. Like, yeah, it's fun to watch that. that Like, if you did this story, now it's tough even to watch for them because I think it's like, you know, I do think it's stretched out this story. 
But imagine with today's acting sensibilities, this story, how boring it would be. Yeah. It would be miserable. You'd check out after four minutes. He would think about <laughs> chewing his nails. This is the kind of choice they'd make. It's like he used to have a nail chewing problem, but now he's now when he gets nervous, he thinks about it, but he knows better. So what are you going to show me with that? Nothing. It's just like, <laughs> it's like show. Right. Well, how does that communicate visually to an audience? That's the issue. It's like you got to commit. Listen, I'm dumb. Sometimes I, I don't I don't know that that uh, wink and a nod shit. That don't fucking like wash with me sometimes. <laughs> I need somebody hollering at me. Yeah, I think that's a lot. That's part of the reason you watch so much stuff now and you you check out or you don't watch the second episode because the lead performances just suck and it's because they're not doing anything they're not giving you anything like look at pacino right pacino's like the all-time quote over actor but like the whole thing of overacting is like you have to learn how to use your body as like this instrument right so if you learn how to go super big that means you also do the opposite so like godfather 2 is like maybe the consider the greatest performance ever so it's the guys like the robin williams or whoever jim carrey's like go on and on if you learn how to do that one skill set, it's, it's going to balance each other out. So if you only know how to be small and you're insecure about going over the top, like you're just going to suck. You're never going to grow. It's going to be shitty the whole time. So all yeah. these guys that we watch with these leads of the Twilight Zone, like at least they're going for it. It's so much, it's refreshing. It feels new in a weird way watching these guys because like yeah. you don't see that anymore. And not that subtlety is bad. Subtlety has its place. It has its but sometimes right. you need theatrical. Like I like things that theatricals used to like is like kind of like a term that's like poo-pooed. Oh, it's so theatrical. It's like, why is that necessarily a bad thing? Right. If it's used in the right context. Because sometimes sometimes some people are acting, like sometimes it's weird when it's not balanced by the director where somebody's acting in their own fucking movie sometimes. <laughs> it's just like, totally. when it, yeah. it's really funny. Great movie to check out is called The Missouri Breaks by Arthur Penn, one of my favorite directors. And Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando basically said, like, basically said I don't like you. I'm not going to give you anything usable. And he does this completely batshit, insane, confusing, all over the place performance. And everybody else is very grounded. Mm -hmm. And it's a fucking amazing thing to watch because it's like kind of like it's almost a disaster, but it's like kind of amazing. Yeah. So check that out. Big performances. We like big, big. Yeah. This episode. Eh. Okay. I think this this is why I had to vent for 10 minutes because I don't have much about the episode. That's this is what just happened. Yeah, we had to fill something. Let's <laughs> talk get... about acting, the disciplines of acting. Because <laughs> it's just like, well, yeah. we made it work. Yep. What's interesting is Sterling starts appearing during the episodes now. And sometimes little... he doesn't do a lot of mid he doesn't do a lot of mid roles. Only a few times he does that. I mean he did it this one. I think he did it the last one. I think he does it the next one. Yeah, like oh, no, he not, does he's, it, yeah. he's not like like bookending it. Like, yeah, like the episode yeah. goes in for like a couple of minutes and then he shows and up. he pops in. He's like, yeah, I, I was going to mention that. that that was kind of a shift from last season because it was usually he would come in. But now they do like a very def- well-defined, like cold open almost. Yeah. I like that. It's not as handholdy. Like it's like, let the let let's see if you can figure out the premise, yeah. you know, like with mm-hmm. what we give you. That's that's nice. That is a big change from last season. Good, good cat. Good cat. Thanks, man. You know, this is the first thing to deliver the line. You talking to me? You talking to me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure you are. Now, me in the mirror, we're having a talk. You talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking to? You talking to me? Really? Oh, I was going to ask about mind. that. You talking is that, to me? Is there a connection there? Taxi Driver and Dirty Harry. And, oh, I mean, this was yeah. 1960. It was he referencing in the 70s. that. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It had, there has to be something, right? Yeah, I couldn't the find fact that it's brought up. 
Well, this also this episode was uh, parodied on a Married with Children episode where Bud uh, starts talking to the man in the, in the mirror because you know Bud can't get laid, but the man in the mirror can. Oh. It was a very sophisticated show. Did was it? Did, did Alter Bud have a, like a name? Like was it something else? Was it Bert? I forget. I remember it vaguely when I read this in the wiki. I was like, I vaguely remember this. I just remember he says something to Christina Applegate, whatever her name was on the show. Kelly, Kelly Bundy, Kelly. He very says something to her. Kelly. He says something to Kelly like Bud's not here. Something like something to that effect, and like the audience goes, "What?" <laughs> And now, Mr. Serling. These are familiar items, I'm sure. Television set, electric razor, clock typewriter. The normal, everyday accoutrements that are part and parcel of 20th century progress. But next week, you'll see them under different circumstances and in a totally dissimilar guise. They'll be machines, but they'll also be monsters. Our story is called A Thing About Machines, and it'll be here waiting for you in the Twilight Zone.